Let's read together Luke 17. Continue to walk with our Lord Jesus to his cross, knowing that though we can't bear his, we're called to bear our own, and it leads to the same place after suffering to glory. When we trust Jesus and follow him as his disciples, page 1041, Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. Page 1041, Luke 17. Notice that opening phrase, which is key to understanding the passage. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well or has saved you. This is God's word. May he bless us by it. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, maybe some of you remember that hymn which was being sung a number of years ago, Ten Unclean and Nowhere to Go, Ten Men Cleansed as White as Snow, One Returned to Give God Thanks, but Nine Went Away. God gives gifts to us every day, favors His people in every way, hope restored and pain relieved, do you ever give thanks for the gifts received? This is a true story. It's a familiar story. Its lessons often make it a forgotten story. But it packs a wallop. This quiet story packs a wallop. Because here's the teaching. Only those who are thankful to Jesus have true faith and are saved. Only those who are thankful to Jesus have true faith and are really saved. Only one out of 10 returned to give God thanks. Does a 10% rate of thanksgiving shock you? Is Jesus teaching here that nine out of 10 
people who profess to have faith don't have real faith? Well, no, Jesus is not teaching us percentages. But he is calling us to examine our hearts this morning and every day and ask, do I really embrace Jesus and know what he has done for me? And does that put thanksgiving as the driving force in my life? Did that drive me to worship this morning? Gotta go. Gotta go. Thank the Lord who saved me. Gotta worship. We want to see three things. Under the question, Jesus' question, where are the nine? First, the merciful master. Secondly, the forgetful nine. And thirdly, the thankful foreigner. Merciful master, the forgetful nine, and the thankful foreigner. What a merciful Lord and master, remember that Jesus, or Luke is tracing Jesus' journey to Jerusalem to die, and that journey starts in 9, verse 51. Of course, it, it, it brings him from heaven to earth. But in terms of his, his ministry throughout Israel, he begins to set his face resolutely with utter determination toward Jerusalem. And Luke 9, verse 51 And he's going there down this road to die for sin. To carry his cross and go through hell. That's the road he's on. But it's not a straight road to Jerusalem. It's a circular one. And he goes from town to town, from Galilee and Samaria and back to Galilee. And now he's on the border. He's on the border between Galilee in the, in the north and Samaria in the center. And he's visiting a town, a border town. And outside of that town, there's a band of 10 lepers. And all the while, his heart is focused on Jerusalem. That, that's what governs the work of the Lord right here too. So verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem... He's passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And verse 12, as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. As he entered, because they were not allowed to live or be anywhere close to the village, they're a long ways off. They're in the wilderness region along the Samaria-Galilee border. And leprosy in the Bible is a generic term for a wide variety of skin infections. There were the more shallow or superficial kind of skin infections, not so dangerous. There were the deeper, more egregious kinds that would end up killing you. You would lose your your nerve functions. You would burn yourself. You would lose your fingers and your feet and parts of your face because you had no sense and you would just hurt yourself. And contracting leprosy really was a death sentence. Immediately, when the priest declared you unclean, you had to isolate yourself from social life. Had to leave your friends, leave your spouse, leave your children, and go away and never touch them again unless you were cleansed. And you could go to the priest and he would declare you clean again. 
and then you could return. But it was a living death. It meant your only community was the leper colony. And so we understand then why it says in verse 12, and he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And the only way they can meet Jesus is to cry out from a long ways off, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Notice his name, Jesus, Master. That word means commander, overseer. They had heard stories about this Jesus of Nazareth, how he would command demons, diseases, death, sin, to let go of people's lives and set them free. He had power and authority. And they knew he had power and authority over leprosy as well. Jesus, commander, have mercy on us. And when you cry for mercy, that means you are in a dark place. There's no way out of your trap, your prison. You are stuck unless somebody comes and sets you free. And that's what that cry for mercy is, a cry for rescue from somebody who would pity them. They're oppressed by a sickness. They're living in the shame of being disgusting persons, unacceptable to society. They're untouchables. They're, they're dirty. And even the Old Testament law required that if you had leprosy and somebody was getting close, you had to yell at them, unclean, unclean, stay away from me. What a dark spot. Jesus, commander, have mercy. Jesus, master, have mercy. Get us out of this dungeon. Rescue us. Reach your hand into our desperate situation and deliver us. And they do this because he's known for mercy. That's the theme of his parables. Just two chapters ago, chapter 15, Jesus in the parable of the prodigal son. Also in the lost coin and the lost sheep is known as the one who receives sinners and eats with them. The Pharisees are muttering about that. He's merciful. It's the theme of his miracles, mercy. It's the theme of his mission. The songs of Mary and Zechariah open up the book of Luke. And the word mercy is used often in Luke 1 about this Jesus. God has come to show mercy to his people and rescue them from darkness where they have no help and no hope. Jesus is God's mission of mercy. And so over the gap, the distance, they shout. They holler. Mercy on us. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He has pity on them. He reaches out to them over the distance. And in verse 14, go and show yourselves to the priest. And they went and they were cleansed. And again, the Lord Jesus 
is calling you and me, brothers and sisters, no matter what your situation in life, how disgusting you have become because of your sin and shame. How deep you're living under the burden and stigma. of trouble, how far away you are from God, how broken down your situation in life, and it seems things can't get any worse. There's a place for you to go, brothers and sisters. A person named Jesus will hear you call his name, even if it's over a distance. He will hear you call his name, especially now that Jesus is in heaven. You say, how can... How can he hear me? He's so far away. He's not. He is through his spirit. Come close. And the book of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has in every way been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you've never called out to him, and church is just a tradition and a custom for you, but there's nothing more, and you've never called out to him, do it now. And if you've called out to him thousands of times, do it again. Jesus knows what it is to live on your side of the trouble, that's where he's going. He's going to a leper colony called the cross, a colony of one, utterly forsaken, becoming a curse and a thing of shame, despised by both earth and heaven, forsaken by God and by men, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's where he's going. He knows what it is to be on your side. So when he hears you call, He feels what you're feeling. And he will not turn a deaf ear. He will hear. We say with the psalmist, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. Merciful Lord, who never forsakes the cry, of the one who seeks mercy. Whatever your situation, even the worst. Well, then we meet up with the forgetful nine. Verse 14, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. The miracle is on the one hand so simple, yet it's incomprehensible. He doesn't touch them. It doesn't seem like he does anything. The last guy, the leper that met him a few chapters earlier in Luke, he at least touched him. And spoke words of healing over him. We don't hear any of that here. Go show yourself to the priests. In other words, that same guy that declared you unclean, leave society. Go back to him Show him that you're clean so that he can call you clean now and you can come back home. But in those words, as those ten obeyed, 
and believed that he would heal them. As they were walking, before they got to the temple to meet the priest, they're saying, it's gone. My skin is smooth. It's like I never had a sickness. It was amazing, incomprehensible, that simply by the speaking of those words and by the power of his will, the power of God reached into their lives through Jesus Christ, God's son. And they were healed. Jesus doesn't just feel compassion. But his pity is powerful. His pity actually reaches into your life, body, and soul and does something to you. That's why you do not call on him in vain ever. Ever. Oh, he won't hear me. Yes, he will. Then one of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. He didn't make it to the priest. He saw that he was healed, and he just turned around on a dime, and he ran back to the Lord Jesus. I gotta thank him. He was overjoyed at Jesus, so overflowing with thanksgiving to him that he started, we read first, shouting praises to God. And anybody anywhere near in the vicinity would say, what just happened to him? What's he yelling about? Notice that. Notice the theology there in, this, in that Samaritan. Praises to God. Jesus, God, he sees the connection. So many Jews did not see that connection in Jesus' day. What faith. He praises God. They realize that God is in Jesus and he runs to Jesus and he worships him. With thanksgiving, that's what it is, to fall down at his feet with thanksgiving. He's worshiping. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done for me. What a moment. And what a picture of what Jesus wants from us. This delights him. But notice how when he does this, Jesus' first response is disappointment. He doesn't say, oh, I delight in your praises. He does in a moment. That's not where he starts. He starts with repeated questions, rapid fire questions of disappointment and disapproval for the nine. Verse 17, then Jesus answered, were not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? In other words, where are my own people? Where's Israel? They should be at the front line of praises. At the work and the mercy of God through the Messiah. 
The Samaritan was the one who was far away from God. He was from Samaria where their worship was false and superstitious. And their views of Messiah were wrong. They were unclean. They always had everything wrong. Of all the people, you wouldn't expect him to be the one. But he is. Where are the other nine? Here's a picture of false religion. Check yourself. Where are you? They went for the gift, but they ignored the giver. They went for the cure, but they ignored the Christ. It was not personal faith in God. It was just looking for a handout so that they could continue to live for themselves. They're all healed physically. But only one is healed spiritually. And we know that from Jesus' last words, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well. And that's the first time the word saved is used in this passage. Made you well can be translated, it's the most common term for salvation in the New Testament. So you could translate it, your faith has made you whole or your faith has saved you. That's how he is set apart. From the other nine. The Samaritan has received a gift from Jesus by faith that runs a lot deeper than the skin deep gift the nine received. Matthew Henry writes How rich is Christ in doing good? How poor are we in giving thanks? Brothers and sisters, often. Those who grow up with grace don't really appreciate it. And those for whom it's a new thing are amazed at it. Often those who grow up in the riches of the covenant expect mercy from God while outsiders, foreigners are surprised and overwhelmed by mercy. Sometimes we who are insiders to the message of salvation don't really grasp what we have in Christ while those who are outsiders see it clearly. And that's exactly what's going on. How is it with us? Seriously. Is your mouth full of complaining or full of thanksgiving as a general description of your life? Sometimes we say, how's it going with so-and-so? Oh, it must be okay because we haven't heard any complaints lately. I hope that doesn't describe you, that if everything's fine, you don't say anything. If something's bad, out come the criticisms and there's no thankful spirit driving your life. And how many in, in our culture have grown up with the gospel rather than gather for worship and praise the Lord, would prefer to stay in bed or, or play golf or watch the races or something. That's false religion. Where are the nine? 
Where's thanksgiving? Where's the love for Jesus and what he's done for us? And the answer to my problem, if that's where I am at, and then the only thing in the morning on Sunday morning that gets me to church is somebody forcing me into it. Or what others will say if I don't and not. I want to thank the Lord. And what we need to do is see Jesus more clearly and see where he's going to the cross to bear my sin and my shame. J.C. Ryle writes, it's the man who daily feels his debt to grace and daily remembers that in reality he deserves nothing but hell This is the man who will be daily thanking and praising God. When we see how poor we are and how rich he is. And what he has done for me on the cross. And reached out in mercy to make my sin his own. My condemnation his own. My judgment his own. The wrath of God that I deserve his own. The curse his own, my hell his own, so that I could be set free. When we know him, thanksgiving will not be forgotten. And that's what we see, thirdly, the thankful foreigner. Jesus is amazed at two things in this passage. How ungrateful the nine are and how thankful that foreigner, that Samaritan is. It's a beautiful scene. See the contrast from the first verse to the last? Where is he at the beginning? Standing far off. Crying for mercy. Where is he at the end? He's right at the feet of Jesus in fellowship with the Savior. Crying out praises. That's what Jesus does. He brings us from the outside to the inside. From being far away from God to having fellowship with God. From being unsaved, rejected, forsaken, to being saved, accepted, and forgiven. And when you see him there, you know that he hasn't just received a gift called healing. He's received a person named Jesus. He has a personal relationship with the giver. That's faith. He sees Jesus as more than a healer. He sees him as a savior. And Jesus' final words, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole, made you well. Your faith has saved you. Here's more than a superficial, temporary faith looking for healing. There's a deep and sincere faith looking for a complete salvation. He came to see that 
in Jesus. There is a healing that's much more than skin deep. There's a healing that reaches the soul and takes your whole life and brings you to God. That's the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. He's on the road to Jerusalem and there he's going to take to the cross with him not just our sicknesses. He bore our infirmities, yes, but also our sins. And he was destroyed on the tree of the cross, body and soul. Completely wrecked. His whole life. To make you whole completely, body and soul. It's a picture of the kingdom of heaven, even though we have to suffer many afflictions here. That what's coming for the true believer is complete wholeness, shalom, body and soul with Jesus in the new creation, which will be finalized when he comes back to give us new bodies, when he calls us forth from the grave or transfigures us who are still alive and makes our bodies to be like his glorious body, body and soul. What he did, what a savior. He became a wretch like me to make me worthy of God like he. And so really that's the challenge for us. How do you view Jesus? Do you believe in him with all your heart? Do you see that you are an unworthy sinner and he's a worthy savior? And if you see him for who he is, all he's done for you on the road to Calvary, on that hellish, cursed, God-forsaken cross, then you'll not be able to suppress the joyful praise of a thankful heart. And I know that thanksgiving can come under assault in our lives and we often don't thank him as we should. Never really. But it lives deep and it still drives our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit and when we fail in it, we want more of it and we ask Jesus, show me yourself more clearly again so that your grace might become more amazing for me again because I feel myself so backslidden in praise and thanksgiving and in joy. Lord, show me. Show me your cross. Show me what you did for me more clearly because I want more of that in my life. Then he will also hear that cry for mercy. Spurgeon tells the story of a very talkative woman. He was sharing the gospel with her, but she talked so much that he could hardly get a word in edgewise. But eventually she listened long enough to hear the good news of complete salvation in Jesus Christ. And then when she began to understand how great his mercy is, she exclaimed, oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if Christ saves me, he'll never hear the end of it. Isn't that wonderful? It's exactly the way it is. When we see our Savior suffering, dying on the cross, a sacrifice for sin to make me whole again, bring me from darkness into light and from death to life and from hell to God, Then we say, what language shall I borrow to thank thee, dearest friend, 
For this thy dying sorrow, thy pity without end, oh, make me thine forever. And should I fainting be, Lord, let me never, never outlive my love to thee. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise you for giving us mercy in the person and work of your son, Jesus Christ. A complete mercy to make us whole. Thank you, Lord Jesus, your mercy is so great that you hear our cry in whatever situation we're in, however far away we might be. You hear our cry from heaven and you answer us. Lord, make our faith in you real. Our grasp of you complete by the power of your Holy Spirit. And give us that thanksgiving, that love that can never be outlived. And so draw us constantly to yourself in praise. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen.